Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you so much for joining us on BC Podcast. Here's a message to encourage your heart this week. Um, so we're going to do something a little bit different if you're wondering what in the world is going on. And we want to take just a few moments, uh, this is Pastor Mike uh, joining me this morning, to talk to you about what we're doing this summer and why. What we're doing this summer and why. Why we think it's such an important thing for us uh, to stop and to focus and to spend some months together working through this. And so this quote from A.W. Tozer kind of shapes a little bit of what we're doing this summer. And he said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And he wrote that in the knowledge of the holy. And so we're going to take a minute, and I've asked Pastor Mike to take just a minute and talk about what it is that we're doing this summer. Yeah, thanks, John. Thanks for inviting me up. Good morning. Good to see all of you. Uh, So the title of the whole series is called Behold. And in many ways, that's the heartbeat behind what we're hoping to see happen, that we behold, that we gaze, that we look upon, that we pursue the Lord. So the Lord is the object of this series. And the God that we serve is triune. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So this summer, we're going to spend all of this month focused on the Father. John's going to kick us off with that. And then in July, we're going to focus on Jesus the Son. How has God designed us uniquely to relate to Jesus and to know him more and to behold him? And then in August, we're going to spend the whole month just looking at the Holy Spirit. Uh, I've been here for five years, and we haven't done something quite like this before, so I'm very excited about it. So why summer? Well, summer is an interesting time for us. Uh, Obviously, the sun is shining, the birds are singing, it's green and lush outside. But it's also a time of year that we tend to vacate, you know, in various ways. We go to the beach, we go to the mountains, we go to the lake, we go see family, we go see friends, we take vacations. We carve out space in our life to do that. It's also a time for camps which is a big deal around here for kids and for students. And what's the big deal about camp? Well, it carves out space for God. We tend to be so busy throughout the year with our schedules and the goings and comings of our life. So it's hard for us to carve out space, but summer has that interesting time, that interesting place, that interesting season where we can carve a little bit of space out. And so this summer together, We want to challenge you to carve some space out, whether it's at the beach or in the mountains, at the lake, at the river, family's house, whatever it might be, to take some space and to focus on who God is. So a part of the why behind this is that God has totally designed us to be relational with him. Like the way he made you, your emotions, your thoughts, your desires, your longings, your wants, your needs— It's relational. God's designed you to have a relationship with him. And the only way that we have a relationship is by getting to know the other person, spending some time. It takes some energy, even for some of you who are sitting with your spouses. That takes a little work. So this summer, us spending time on each person of the Trinity and doing a little work puts us in a position to know him more and therefore fall more in love with him. So that quote that John read at the beginning, the only way that we have the right thoughts about God is that we spend time with God, learning from him, spending time in his word. When Jesus was pushed, hey, what's the most important thing, Jesus? Jesus said it's love, loving God and loving one another. So this summer is an opportunity for us to grow deeper in our love for the Lord, which impacts 
everything about us. Thanks, Mike, very much. Thanks for having me up. Yep. Um, so now we're going to get started. Actually, I'm going to move this. Seeing is different than seeing. You know how in English language we have words that have multiple meanings? Sometimes we'll say one word one way and sometimes we'll say the exact same word but we mean a completely different thing. Well, seeing is different than seeing. Let me give you an example. So when I was in college, I was, and I'm gonna talk about this a little bit later, but I was working on the river, I was a raft guide. And so I, every summer we would take groups down the new river, whitewater rafting. It was a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Um, but I had an apartment that I was living in. So I was off campus living in an apartment and all of the things that a bachelor would have in a college apartment, I had those things. They all just happened to be my roommates which is typical as well, right? And so one summer I was working and my roommate decided to get married and move. So as soon as the wedding was over and he moved, I came back to my apartment and I realized I had one single steel folding chair to my name. That was my living room. But I had a fridge and I had a bedroom and so I was good. But the one thing the one thing that was missing that was such a big deal for a, for a college dude was he took the TV. He took the TV. So I had nothing. I just had a steel folding chair in the living room. Well, a friend of mine was house sitting for a girl named Emily who went to the same school. And we had met a couple of times, but we hadn't really talked much or, or talked to each other very much. Um, and so we just kind of in passing met here and there. But this friend of mine who was also working the river with us that summer came to me and said, well, she has a TV and we don't have cable, but you have cable. So why don't we just take her TV and put it in your apartment for the summer because you have cable and that way it'll all work together and then we'll put it back at the end of the summer. Well, for college dudes, that sounded like a brilliant idea. I mean, we just solved a major problem. Brilliant idea. And so we took that TV, we put it in my apartment and we set it up and we were watching cable for the summer and, and having a grand time. Well, that, that summer was also my birthday and my parents decided one of the things I needed for my birthday was a TV. So they bought me a TV and this was a, an amazing TV. It was a, a TV and a VCR combo, like in one piece, one device, it like did both things. Like you watch television live and you could also play tapes. I mean, amazing, amazing the technology. And so what did I do? So I took that TV and I plugged it in and I took the other TV that was not mine and I put it in the corner because that's what you do, right? You put it over in the corner. So I put it over in the corner and totally forgot that it was even there. Totally forgot that it was even there. Fast forward to that fall and I'm registering for classes, registering for classes. And I'm walking down the hall of the main administration building at, at ABC called Pipkin Hall. I'm walking down that hallway and I can still picture it to this day. 
walking down that hall and I see Emily walking toward me the other direction. We're gonna cross paths in the middle of this hall. And it's, it's literally like we're the only two people in the entire hall. I don't know how that happened. But she's walking toward me and I can see it as if it's happening right now. I can hear her flip-flops. She had on these black, like flip-floppy sandal shoes. I can hear them walking down the hall. And so we see each other and we cross paths and we pass each other and all I can muster is a, hey. And I think she said, hey, back or something like that. And we pass each other and she keeps walking and I keep walking. I'm like, man. And all of a sudden I hear the flip-flop stop. And she turns around and I turn around. I'm like, oh man. And she turns around and she looks at me deadpan and she says, hey, are you the guy that has my TV? (laughs) Busted, totally busted. But that was the moment where I went from seeing her to seeing her. You know what I mean? You know what I mean, right? Seeing her to seeing her. I can still see that moment. I can see all the parts of that moment. I can see and hear and even smell the new paint on the wall. Like God has created us to just see with our eyes, but he's also created us to see with our head and our heart. And so this summer, what we want to try to do together is see God. Not with just our eyes and not with just our head, but also with our heart. Because to see God is to love God. To see God is to love God. And so this is what we're going to do today. We're going to go back to Genesis chapter 1. And then we're going to go forward to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to go back to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to go forward to 1 John chapter 4. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app and you want to prepare for where we're going to be this morning, that's where we're going to be this morning. Scripture tells us things about God. You know, it's been said that the Bible is not a history book, although it contains history. It's not a science book, although it contains science. It's not a math book or a language book or even a story book. But instead, it's a theology book. It's a book about God, who he is, what he does, how he interacts with us. That's what we find in Scripture. And from the very beginning of Scripture, we begin to learn some things about God. So go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the very first verse in all of the Bible. It says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This teaches us immediately some things about God, does it not? The first thing, you take the very first three words, in the beginning. So it teaches us already that in the beginning, God was there. So there's an eternal aspect to God. In the beginning, he was already there. Then it goes on and it says, God created, created. 
Some of us would consider ourselves creative. Some of us not so much. But there it is. God is creative because he created. So we learn some things about God immediately when we read the first verse. Move down to verse 26, verse 26 of Genesis 1. So God's been creating and he's created all that we can see the world. And then in verse 26, it says this, then God said, let us make man in our image in our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Image and likeness. Those words in our language mean something. They might conjure up a, a picture of a statue. You might think image or likeness. Well, that's a statue. We have a lot of those in our culture. You might think painting. You might think a picture. But here it means something deeper. It means something deeper. It means that literally there are ways that God has created us as people to function in ways that he functions. It's the ways we are like God. So there are lots of ways that we're not like God, and we're gonna talk about those next week. But there are also some things that God has created in us that are similar, that are like God, because we were made in his image. We were made in his likeness, and so we carry those marks with us. So today we're going to go a little deeper with one of those, with one of those. Go to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. One of the ways that we were created like God or in his image is the capacity to love. The capacity to love. So let's look at 1 John chapter 4, start in verse 7. It says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. So we just read in Genesis chapter 1 that we were created in his image and his likeness. Therefore, there are things that we do that are sourced from him. They come from him. And love is one of those things. And so here in, in verse seven, we see that love comes from God. It comes from God. So the capacity to love is created in us and empowered in us and equipped in us by God. It's made by him. And so any capacity that we would have to love comes from him. But there's an interesting thing in here at the end of verse eight. It says, God is love. God is love. Notice it doesn't say love is God. So we're not worshiping love. It says God is love, meaning that God is the definer of love. So if you're taking notes this morning in your outline, the first thing that we've got on there, the number one, is that God defines love. 
God defines love. That means any definition of love that would be outside of who God is and what God does would be incorrect because God is the definer of love. His actions are the def definition of what it means to be loving. Culture has lots of definitions for love. Just turn on the TV and you'll find all kinds of definitions for love. You can fall in and out of love. It can be passing. It can happen on a television show within an hour and a half. We have all kinds of definitions for love, but anything that would truly be defined as love, that would really be love, comes from God. He's the provider of the ability to love. Without him, we have no ability to love. You know, interestingly, within scripture, there are three things that say God is. So one here is God is love. The other is God is light. He is light. And the third one is God is spirit. There's a gravitas to those. So what does that mean for us as we embark on this summer? As we look at a summer exploring who God is, what does it mean for us that God is the definer of love? What well, means for the Christian, the follower of Jesus, the person who says, I'm going to live my life as a follower of Christ, it means that I'm willing to submit my life to that definition, that God is love. I'm gonna live my life in a way that alters my actions when I encounter differences between the way that I've defined love and the way that God defines love. It means that I'm willing to change when I, when I face things that I find are different between the two. Not that I say, well, this is what I think love is, and so God, you need to adjust me. But no, I'm willing to live under the truth that God defines love. And I adjust, I adjust. And I think you'll find as a follower of Jesus that I never stop adjusting. I never get to the place where I can say I am fully living that way, but I'm on this journey, this transforming journey from once I come to know Christ until I meet him in person, where I'm all the time adjusting and adjusting and being transformed and being changed more to live out of God's definition of love. God's definition of love, because God defines love. Let's go to number two, and let's see how God's love functions. How God's love functions. Number two, God demonstrated love. Verse nine, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see, if you go back to the garden, when God created us, we were perfect. Our relationship was perfect. You fast forward through Genesis 2 and Genesis 3 and 
you start to see this concept of sin enter into the world. Basically, it's a broken relationship between us and God. Sin breaks things, breaks things. And it originally broke the relationship between us and God. So we come to verse nine here, and this is the reason for this event to take place. But what we're gonna look at this morning are three aspects of God's love that show up in this event, this sending of Jesus to take our place, to be an atonement for our sin. So the first thing I want you to notice here, the first thing I want you to notice is God's love pursues. God's love pursues. If you're one of those people like me who likes to mark up your Bible and circle things and underline things and highlight things and all those, all those types of things, I would encourage you to circle the word sent. Circle the word sent. A lot of times we skip over that because we get to the huge thing that Jesus came to earth. But behind that is God's love pursuing you and pursuing me. He sent Jesus. He sent him. It was his idea. He was coming after us. He said, I want you so much so that I'm willing to send my son for you. I'm gonna send my son for you. So the first aspect of God's love as he defines love is his love pursues. It pursues, it's not passive. He's not sitting back waiting on us to start something because we were incapable of starting something. So when we were so broken and so incapable of starting something and coming after him in any way, he pursued you and he pursued me. So the first aspect that we see here is his love pursues. The second thing that we see is his love sacrifices. He sacrifices. He sacrificed his most valuable possession. If you could put it that way, his most valuable relationship, if you could put it that way. Father sent his son. The father sent his son. He sacrificed, his love not only pursues, but he was willing to sacrifice at the deepest level. And so many times we skip over the magnitude of that. But he was willing to sacrifice at the deepest level for you and for me. He sacrificed. His love sacrifices. And then we know from the account in scripture of Jesus' death, burial, and his resurrection and then his ascension that we just went through together as a church that ultimately God's love restores. It restores that Jesus is now sitting at the right hand of the Father. So he pursued us, he sacrificed his son, but then he restores, his love restores. And we know ultimately that he will restore us as well. There's a restoration that's a part of his love. 
There's a restoration that's a part of his love. Part of seeing, the way that we're describing seeing is a trust in who God is and what he says. A trust in that. Some of us this morning really struggle with this concept that God would pursue me. God would pursue me. John, you don't, you don't know me. You don't know what I'm bringing in here today. You don't know how broken I actually am. Can I say to you this morning that God is pursuing you? He's pursuing you. He wants you. He's sacrificing for you. He's willing to give up his son for you. If you receive that, you ultimately will be restored by his love. You ultimately will be restored by his love. A prayer that I read in a, a book that I recommended to you for this week, it's called The Furious Longing of God. It's one of those books that's a great devotional and it helps um, just reemphasize this idea that, that God's after us, he's after us. And there's a prayer in there that the author, Brandon Manning, suggests that we pray to help us see that in God. It's simple, just a very simple prayer. But every day he would encourage us to sit with our palms up and just say, Father, I belong to you. Father, I belong to you. Some of us have difficult relationships with our earthly father. And so seeing God as a father might be tough. It might be difficult. We've got maybe traumatic experiences in our past. And so seeing God as father might bring those things up. But to rest in the perfect love of God is part of our journey of transformation. It's part of seeing God. It's part of loving God. And so father, I belong to you. Father, I belong to you. Imagine the understanding of God's love that Jesus must have had. Take yourself to the Garden of Gethsemane. And not very long, he's going to go to the cross and he's, Jesus has caught a glimpse of what's to come. He knows what's ahead of him. And so he goes into this garden and he goes into the garden to pray. And he takes three of the guys who'd been with him for several years and invites them to, to watch and to pray as well. But it's just heavy. It's just heavy. In some ways, it's terrifying. So what does he pray? In the garden, he says, please, Don't make me do this. Please don't make me do this. Please, if there's any other way, if you can think of any other way, please don't make me do this. And all of the things that were part of this. But what does he follow it up with? 
not my will, but yours. The amount of trust that had to be there in God's love for him at that moment, that he facing the cross would say, please take it away, but not my will, yours be done. Seeing God and his love for us leads us to the safest, most secure place in all the universe. And even Jesus, when facing the cross, took solace in God's love and was willing to move forward because of God's love, because he knew how much God loved him. He knew how much God loved him. These couple verses also teach us that following Jesus never begins with what we do for God. It always starts with what God has done for us. It never begins with what we do for God, but it always starts with what God has done for us. But then it progresses. Just like most things do, then it progresses. So we see God's love and then what does that do? Number three, we demonstrate God's love. We demonstrate God's love. So God defined love and God defines love. God demonstrated love and now we demonstrate God's love. Verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. John 20, verse 21 says this. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I am sending you. As the father has sent me, I am sending you. So what does that mean? Well, it means first that he sends us to pursue each other. It sends us to pursue each other. Just like he pursued us, he says, I want you, like I did, to pursue each other. When there's broken relationships, when there's conflict, I want you to pursue each other. That's what love does. The way that God defines love, that's what love does does. And so we can't sit back and say, well, that's not the way I define love. We as Christians, people who follow Jesus with our life have to adjust and say, well, God, you pursued me. Therefore, I will pursue others. As you equip me to love, I will use that to pursue others in love. He pursued me. I pursue you. He sacrificed for me. So I sacrifice for you. He sacrificed for me. So I sacrifice for you. There's a parallel that goes on in the life of a believer where we imitate God's love for us. And so as he sacrificed for me, I am willing to sacrifice for you. Whenever that calling comes, I'm willing to sacrifice for you. 
And then ultimately, I know that God's love will restore us as well. And here's the crazy thing. Here's the crazy thing. Look back in the passage for just a second. In verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how big a deal this is. To love people the way that God loves people somehow helps people see God. You love God by loving people. He gave us the model. He said, follow me in the way that I love. I will pursue, I will sacrifice, and ultimately I will restore. And then he says, go do that. And when you do that, it'll be so countercultural to everything that the world sees when they define love that people will literally see God because we love each other the way God loves. It's so different. It's so big. It's so much more than I'm gonna come to church and I'm gonna dress up and and I'm gonna be nice to my neighbor. It's literally leaning in with each other to the level that God leans in with us, a pursuit of each other, a sacrificing type of love. And people see God. If you think back to Acts chapter two in the beginning of the church, when all of this started, The description of the church in Acts chapter two was that they were together. They were together. And the Lord added to their number daily. Why? Because they were together in a culture where togetherness was almost impossible. To remind you of a culture where divisiveness is the word of the day. A love like God's love in our culture, will help people see God. It'll help people see God. Seeing God's love for me frees me to deeply love others. I mentioned to you that I'm a raft guide in the summer, and one of my favorite things about being back in West Virginia is that I get to do that on occasion in the summer, especially when we go down for camp. And rafting is one of those things that it's kind of on the edge of nervousness, you know? Like there are people that are like, yeah, I'm going. Like Mike, he's like, I'm in. And there are others who are like, eh, not so sure. Most of the time when you go rafting, it, it turns out really well. Most of the time. On occasion, it doesn't turn out as good as you would think it might. Like this picture. Not necessarily what they were looking for. You know, it's funny when that happens. So, um, funny. <laughs> it's funny to watch the reactions when that happens. So everybody has different reactions, but there's a pretty common one. When people fall out of the boat. It's save me. In various ways and in various expressions. 
But basically it boils down to save me. They have a panicked look on their face. They're not breathing real well. They're flailing in some way. And it's save me, help me, get me, whatever, whatever it is. Take care of me. And so on occasion, this will happen where you'll, you'll hit something and everybody in the boat will fall out, including the guy with the sandal. Like everybody falls out. And so when that happens, people get back to the boat at different times. And so it's interesting to watch it go from save me to let me help you. What's the change? Most of the time, the change is I'm now in the boat. I feel safe. I feel secure. I'm good to go. So now let me help you. That's the way it typically goes. You know, in, in our life, it's the same. It's the same. Why is it so important that we become aware that we see God's love for us? That we start to rest in God's love for us? That we start to understand God's love for us? Not at the, just the head level, but the heart level. That we really, really sit in God's love for us. That we know what God thinks of us. Because when we are there, when we see God's love that way, I'm safe, I'm secure, I'm wanted, I'm valuable, I matter, I'm worth sacrificing for. There's a security to that. There's a security to that. And then when I feel that myself, when I know that myself, when I realize that myself, I can then turn and help other people know that, and feel that, and understand that. I become free to pursue. I become free to sacrifice. I become free to help restore because I feel that myself. Seeing God's love for us frees us. It frees us to deeply, deeply love others. Can we pray together? God, thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you do. We thank you for your love that you pursue us. We pray this morning as we rest in that, that you would make it real to us, make it true to us, make it foundational to us. And we'll give you the glory. Amen. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com and give us a follow on all platforms at Bible Center.